Dirty old part of the city where the sun refused to shine. People tell me there ain't no use in trying. Now, my girl, you're so young and pretty, and one thing I know is true you'll be dead before your time is due. I know. Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Tom. Tom. Do you remember your doppelganger, Murphy? I do. He died in a horrible bungee jumping accident in 1993. It's a good guy. Chet. <laughs> hey, first Murphy. of all, Mark Frost, a little <laughs> shout out to him. The final dossier appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. I think it was number four. That's great. I saw that. What was the, who was ahead of him? Do we look? I think one was John Grisham. Okay. And I think another one was, I want to say it's Dan Brown, the guy who wrote the Da Vinci Code yeah, okay. books. And I can't remember the other one, but uh, that's pretty good. That's good. Well, well that means that there's a lot of people out there that obviously bought the book. And I think that's not only good for Mark Frost, the novelist, but I think it's good for the world of Twin Peaks. It shows that... There's always going to be an audience and, and a big audience. Yeah. So, do we know how many bo- actual books were sold? Do we get that information? No, I, I don't know. I'm sure Is it's that out actually there. Disclosed? I don't know. I, I've, I have no idea. That's uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I actually, know how many people actually bought it? Like hundred thousand, fifty thousand, two hundred thousand. What, what is it actually? You know what? We should know what's the minimum for the New York Times bestseller list. I, that's another good question. I don't know. My guess would be All we're right. talking about probably tens of thousands of books and not hundreds of thousands. But that's just. A I would guess. think like to be on the New York Times bestseller, like maybe fifty or hundred or fast. Like you have to sell them super fast, right? I wonder if that also takes into account like you know the Kindles and audio, all the other oh, yeah. supplements. I, I would imagine, yeah, I because. So. I mean, I don't know very many people like, to begin with, but the few people that I do know, most people don't read actual physical books. They use like a device to read the book. I still do. I don't even old... read. I just listen to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too tired. Turn the page. So what do you want to talk about tonight, my friend? Well, why don't you, do you want to talk about the little, didn't Frost give some little clues in an interview lately? Like what did he, didn't he say something about time travel? The only time travel happened one time in the series and it happened at the last episode and only one of the characters time traveled. Is that interesting to you? Yeah, but that's uh, he said that, but that's not necessarily true now, is it? Well, I mean, what do you think? That's why I'm posing this question to you, my friend. Well, I think that first and foremost, even though we didn't see Philip Jeffries time jumping, um, he obviously was doing the old uh, quantum leap uh, time jump at some point. And Major Briggs 
was going backwards and forwards in time. And he showed up in part three in the Purple Room, at least his head did. He showed up um, at the zone with Hastings and Ruth. And he showed up in part uh, 17 um, in the fireman's domain. So even though that wasn't necessarily, I don't think, uh, time jumping, but I'm assuming, well, we know that he you know, went back in time in 1989 because he didn't die in the fire at Listening Post Alpha. So I guess in our, our narrative, I guess, you know, Frost is right that Cooper was the only one that we actually saw. But in the whole series, I think there was, you know, several examples of time, uh, time jumping. Yeah, I get the indication that, that Frost is really behind the whole time travel thing. Like that's, that's that was maybe one of his ideas. I agree, and I think that there was nary a mention of the Dreamer, or we live inside a dream, Upanishads, anything, in the final dossier, or in any interview that I've read with Frost in the last week or so, and I am firmly believe that was a David Lynch creation. We know he was reading that poem, or you know that uh, you know script of the Upanishads before Inland Empire, so I think that's certainly up his wheelhouse. But it's interesting when he's talking frost that is about all these events at the end of the final dossier he's really kind of you know everything is kind of coalescing as much as it can um that uh, there isn't a mention of any kind of dreaminess dreamlike quality there was no mention of cooper in vegas um there was no mention of tammy's conversations with cole about his monica bellucci dream about uh you know the philip jeffries appearing in Philadelphia in 1989. So she didn't incorporate any of that into her narrative, which is obviously Frost's narrative, which makes me which makes me think that it, that was a Lynch creation. Yeah, I agree with you. He probably came in at the last minute and added the whole dreamer thing, the Upanishads, and so loves to repeat that. <laughs> Living in a dream everywhere he goes, the Starbucks and every you know pretty much the grocery store probably. So he just threw it in there. We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. Yeah, but I think it's woven into the series um, pretty much from the beginning, even though we're not getting um, any of these lines or quotes, but you know, knowing what we know and going back on a rewatch, I think that you can find these elements in the story whether it's related to Cooper, maybe, maybe even Laura off camera. I mean, the story itself is like very dreamlike. The narrative is very dreamlike, and which kind of follows, you know, Mulholland and Drive and Inland Empire. I think this is how, you know, this is Lynch evolving as an artist and he's incorporated that dreaminess into his last several features. And it only made sense that he would incorporate it into Twin Peaks, but it doesn't sound like Frost that was something that uh, that he came up with or maybe expanded upon. That was, you know, solely Lynch. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like we have two gods. Like they're both like giving us different like mysteries, and that's maybe why the Twin Peaks feels so layered and mysterious. Is we're getting two different narrators dropping clues left and right. We get the dreamer angle. We got the, you know, time travel angle. Like we've got kind of like I think that's probably what's making it so mysterious. Is they probably aren't. <laughs> I wonder if like even Frost himself like understands like what the dreamer thing means. You know. No, I, I. It's me. Right. Because <laughs> you think for Lynch would probably, even if Frost asked Lynch when they're writing together, well, what does that mean? What do you well, think you'll that You'll figure means? it out. Did he, uh, yeah, you'll figure it out. Because right. You hear that something he says? <laughs> you do this to Dwayne Dunham at some point. He's like, what the hell is this? I was like, editing. <laughs> you'll figure it out. So that's probably what he says to everybody. Well, do you want to mention a couple of the uh, uh, tidbits from the Dwayne Dunham interview? I thought there were some juicy uh, bits of information. Uh, well, lead us because I've already forgotten them. So. <laughs> 
tell you. Well, I think that one of the first the things that really surprised me was when they were putting together the first episode that they were having a hard time really kind of getting into the story. And Dunham mentioned that um, when he was putting together the scenes on his pass, the scene with Lucy, the, her first scene at the sheriff's station when the insurance agent comes and asks to speak to Sheriff Truman, that he couldn't make that work, and he cut it. And when Lynch got to it, Lynch obviously put it back in. And uh, so, and I think that happened in several instances or whatever. Obviously, they had a team of editors in place, and then Lynch would just go, you know, uh, and and take a look at their work. And then sometimes he was cutting scenes together on his own. But one of the big revelations to me was that they had this board with all these, like, I think it was like index cards, and they had these pins, and each pin was like a different color. So with uh, within each individual episode, you could look at the pins. And I think that each pin like denoted a certain like location. And what Dunham said was, in several instances, they they dis- they discovered that within several episodes, there weren't very many Twin Peaks uh, pins, scenes in Twin Peaks. Green, so, the color yeah, of Twin Peaks. Yeah, that was green, Twin right? Peaks. Yeah. So they would have to move uh, certain scenes into a particular episode to give more uh, time to Twin Peaks. And what I um, initially thought was like, you know, that that scene of the diner with Bobby and God was it part uh, was it part 14 with Big Ed or part 13 and uh, he tells the story about like you know he got a message from his like his dad today and that was in part 10 it was three episodes before and that whole shit at uh, the diner with Becky and the gun and, and, and the honking woman all happened a couple of days beforehand it was that whole time thing it was all really kind of like mixed up and jumbled and we were thinking alternative timelines but it was probably just an editing choice because there wasn't enough uh, Twin Peaks episodes or scenes in that episode yeah the color scheme wasn't right in that episode they had to throw a little more green into it or a little more blue and like maybe like uh, I mean you never know like there could be like stray scenes you know what I'm saying like there could be a couple like what do we put this one like a jigsaw puzzle uh, put it in that one I hate to admit this but I don't understand this situation at all one thing I want to mention before we move on is that we were talking about you were talking about the two gods of Twin Peaks, Lynch and Frost. One of the interviews that uh, Frost gave, I think it was the Salon.com uh, interview, which I thought was great because the interviewer, I don't know the person's name, I thought asked some very salient questions. There were some really good questions, questions that I think we would ask or fans would ask, people in the know. The person seemed like a legitimate fan and they knew the show, they knew the mythology, and I really loved the questions. And I think that Frost's answers were more forthcoming in, in this interview compared to other interviews. Uh, other interviews, and one of the things, that, one of the questions in particular that he was asked was about the creative process. Like, you know, which, which scenes were Frost's and which scene, which scenes were Lynch? And I can't remember which examples or what examples the interviewer gave. But Frost's answer was very telling, and I, and I really liked it. He compared it to the Beatles, and specifically the Beatles' White Album. If you know anything about the Beatles and the White Album, that's pretty much where they really started working on their own songs and would bring them to the others, and the the other three would be kind of just like session players. But um, in other instances, there, there were collaborative uh, moments, and that's what he said. He said, well, you know, there's some Paul songs, some John songs, and some Beatles songs. Well, it's the same thing with us. There's some David songs and some, uh, or some David scenes and some Lynch scenes, and then there's scenes we wrote together. And I thought it was, A, a great analogy, and, and B, uh, is some insight, some really you know good insight into their uh, creative process. 
what should we continue talking about Mark Frost, or should we move on back to the ser- the regular series and see if we can put the pieces together? Since we've gotten you know Frost's book, and you know we had some theories of our own, like where do we go from here? <laughs> you mean with uh, like our yeah. theories, or from where Frost left us? And well, it's what you uh, think, like of the series, like what of the ending? Has there been any new clues that Frost has given us that's made you want to rethink, like how you? How what the, like whether you believe in our unified lodge theory still, or there's like you had the Laura theory going. Well, I don't know what you want to call that, but there was that going on. Like, where's your mind these days in terms of uh, theorizing? Well, the Frost, um, the book, the final dossier, which which I liked, um, but I had some issues with it, and we discussed that in our, our previous podcast. <clears throat> Specifically, though, um, the last couple of chapters, and mostly dealing with uh, like Jeffries and and Judy and uh, Cooper. And the end, basically, with with the time traveling, um, really hasn't altered for me uh, the series and any kind of like new theories. It's actually emboldened, I think, like our unified lodge theory. Um, I, the the one real big thing with with Frost and his reveal of Sarah Palmer, her middle name being Judy or Judith, and really being you know identifying her as the the little girl in in part eight. Um, for me, I, I kind of wish that he hadn't gone that route because I, I really loved what Lynch did in part eight. He kept it like self-contained and that's part of like keeping the mystery alive, even though that you can infer that it may be Sarah Palmer. But now I think that everyone, since Frost you know, said it in his book, you know, saying that she is Judy. And for me, I really am differentiating Judy and Jaude and you and I go back and forth with this a lot with our phone conversations or whatever is that I think it's muddied that um, you know that that uh, that that little bit of information that he gave that it's all about Judy now where for me in my opinion it's all about Jaude because I think she really is the embodiment of, of, of evil and Judy but dude, is remember Jaude was like uh just the old school like word for Judy. We just Americanized it or whatever, modernized it, and that's what it is. So you're saying Jaude really is the same thing. Just the modern nomenclature calls it Judy. Well, but that's the problem. It's us. It's it's like what Cooper or Mr. C <laughs> Maybe said. Maybe the problem is you. <laughs> well, probably. But it's what Mr. C said in part two, like that I'm supposed to be pulled back into what they call the Black Lodge. What they, like what us, uh, the mere mortals, call this supernatural place. It's like the same thing with Jaude. It's like, we mortals just put a name to this this evil and um you know you you can't really um intellectualize it It, you really can't intellectualize evil just like i don't think you can intellectualize good i mean you can put like symbols to it and i think that we have a symbol for jaude and it's clearly what we saw in part eight but i think what people are doing um from specifically what from prost's revelation in the book is just saying it's Judy. Everything is Judy. Everything is, it's all about Judy, which I love Judy, but I just think that's wrong. I think that, like you said previously, that Judy and Sarah, along with probably many others, are the children of Jaude. So that means like minions. You have these minions. And that's what I think Jeffries was doing when Tammy referenced him in 1986, going after this criminal enterprise headed by this Judy character is it wasn't Sarah Palmer. I think it was just one of these other um, uh, persons, people that had the bug within them, like this little like army of of of, of Judys that going around. And that's just what we, the Blue Rose Task Force, or our supernatural detectives, they ascribe a name to it as Judy. It's like a code name for something, but it's not the all encompassing evil, which I think is Jaude. 
Yeah, well, I don't think like anybody thinks that Sarah really is Judy. You know what I'm saying? Like that she has to be like a child or Judy or like some sort of like you know she swallowed the she swallowed the bug. The bug got her, and so that's what made her um, full of Judy, just like uh, Leland was full of Bob. You know, and uh, so I think I don't think anybody thinks that that, that she is literally Judy. But I think what, what I you're think saying, and what I agree with, is that there's not it's not just her. You know, I think that's what some people are thinking. Well, she just came down and inhabited this one character. Whereas I agree with you completely. They got the whole fucking country is full of Judy's right now. Right. Speaking of the United States of Judy America. Right. And also, I think, I think that, that wasn't the only vomit. Remember the only vomit session? She was like, Hueh! she probably vomited many times. There's many, many seeds. Right. We just saw one of them. She's a bulimic or whatever it is. Yeah, she's just puking. Well, also, I think that whatever was inside of, of, of Sarah in 1956, that bug, is more akin to the jumpy man that that maybe is what was in that egg and you know maybe there's a bunch of jumpy mans or maybe that was just the jumpy man and each egg has an individual like demon that looks different and we just saw what appears within sarah as the jumpy man because we saw him obviously in fire walk with me that's when he was introduced and we saw her face uh superimposed over her in like episode 15 or whatever it is when mr c goes into the convenience store yeah exactly so i think there's there that's very interesting so yeah the, the whole like you know judy jowday thing i think is but I, I like i said i've read things online where people are calling sarah palmer judy and uh like i said i just don't really kind of agree with that and that ties into the end of the show um part 18 when cooper takes laura to the house and and you even agree with this that judy is in that house whether she's within yes. alice tremond or you know she's hiding or there's some kind of alternate timeline in there judy is in that house i agree i think she's totally in that house and she may be the creator of that universe although frost is implying like my little theory was that it was all like this you know lodge dream and that he was bouncing around in odessa and that whole thing was just like a, a figment and it wasn't real but you know frost is implying that like you know that actually he was actively time traveling you know going the old jeffrey's route which is what we thought which is what i thought when i was first watching it I was like, holy shit, he's going straight Quantum Leap Jeffree style, and he's got some agency over what he's doing, you know, so I'm not sure what to believe, whether to believe Frost or whether to believe my bleak theory. Well, don't you think that end scene in part 18 was an altered timeline from everything that we saw beforehand because Laura wasn't killed in 1989? So at some point, Sarah Palmer left that house, and it was owned by um, Chalfont, would then ultimately the Tremons. So you can look at it at that on, on that particular track, on that time track, or you can look at it like, well, Sarah Palmer never left that house. And it's kind of like a dual, like haunted house. Like on the surface, there's Alice Tremond. And then underneath the surface, there really is like Sarah Palmer inhabited by, you know, this, this bug, this Judy bug within her. Um, so you could, you could do that. But for me, I believe that it's more of the, alter timeline and the Alice Tremont reference or the woman being Alice Tremont and then referencing the Chalfont is really kind of only familiar to Cooper because he knows of both names from the events of the original series and from Firewalk With Me. The Chalfonts were at the Fat Shot Trailer Park and the Tremonts were in the house next to Harold Smith. So I don't think he has any additional information on the Tremonts or the Chalfonts. At least we certainly didn't get that. Um, from Cooper's perspective at any other point. But I think just that the the reference to those names gave Cooper even more pause and even, you know, confused him more as to 
you know, where he was, what his intentions were, and 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 what year it was. Isn't it odd that he didn't like, you know, if he heard the Tremont name, that would have made me even more, um, you know, curious and wanting to go inside. And he didn't do it. No, he didn't do it. But, you know, from what we know as an audience of the Tremont is it seems like there there is like a uh, duality to whatever residence the Tremont, you know, person or persons are within. Because same thing in, in the original series, you had... Francis Bay and Lynch's son as Mr. As, you know the Tremont grandmother and the Tremont grandson. But then when they came back, it was a different woman. Green corn. Do you see cream corn on that plate? Yes. I requested no cream corn. And then in Firewalk with Me. Even though we didn't see the Tremonts at the Fat, Fat Shot trailer park, actually we did see a long shot when Harry Dean, Carl Rod was looking out at the trailer. He saw Mrs. Tremont make a gesture to her left arm, but we never saw anyone else there. And then Carl Rod said later that the the, the two Chalfonts live there. But all indications are is that there's some kind of maybe host parasite or some kind of duality within these residences. And I think what we can, the the one piece of evidence that may link that is the painting that they gave the Tremont, Mrs. Tremont gave Laura in Firewalk with Me, which seems to be a portal into the convenience store. But it makes me think that if, if, if the events of the original series were altered from Cooper saving Laura, and if Sarah Palmer did move, and this woman or you know the Chalfont came to live afterwards and ultimately Alice Tremont, that you would think if Sarah left, she would have packed up everything with her, including that painting. So that, that painting would have been in the house, meaning that the portal was gone. Or maybe that it you know has always been some kind of portal because of Leland Bob, the electricity, the ceiling fan. Yeah, well, don't you think like that house, the Palmer house, there, Prost was talking about in the book that, that, that maybe he was looking for like the Grand Central Station of Lodge Portals, that that is it. No, I think it the Palmer House. No, I think it was the fireman's uh, domain. I think it was the White Lodge. Basically, is what he was looking for. Tammy didn't have any reference to that of the White Lodge. I don't even think she called it. Oh, she did call it the Black Lodge because of Hawk, but there was no reference to the White Lodge. I think that's where Cooper wanted to go, or Mister C wanted to go. Um, what his intentions were once he got there, I don't, I don't know. But I don't think it was the Palmer House. I think he kind of maybe- reminded me of like the night of the part three. Like, remember I was saying, is that like a you know bus station or like some cosmic like train station? Right, right, right. Like a place. Yeah. Well, it seems like he never got where he wanted to go. Is what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't think that that would have been the destination he was looking for. Was to go into the White Lodge. He was looking for the Grand Central Station of Evil, not the Grand Central Station of Good. That's true. I mean that that whole thing, his whole uh, plot arc is still like very murky. One thing that I, I discovered, and I'm sure maybe a lot of people knew this already, but you know, I'm a little slow to join the party, is that his his card, you know, his ace of spades with the symbol on it. And uh, but I didn't realize until very, very recently that the ace of spades is known as the death card. So I mean, obviously when Lynch and Frost are concocting the storyline and they come to this particular point, like, okay, Mr. C has this playing card and we're gonna put this symbol on it. Well what what suit? What you know? What what are we going to put it on? And they decided to go with the Ace of Spades, which is you know the most I wouldn't say powerful card, but I think with you know yeah, it's the number one card. It's a number one it card before, like the old westerns or whatever. Throw it on the old Ace of Spades, the Death card. What would you have well, preferred, think- like Joker, Old Maid? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the Death card really came into like existence, or at least calling it a Death card 
from uh, from Vietnam. I think that's like I think some of our soldiers oh, okay. would put like these death cards on some dead uh, North Vietnamese soldiers. And I think that's where it, it, I think that's where it came into existence. I could be wrong well, about thanks that. Thanks for taking us down a very dark path. <laughs> <laughs> but if he had the symbol, like this is what I want. I want the experiment, and it's on the death card. What the hell does that mean? He wants to meet death. That's kind of what I, it kind of makes sense, right? Judy is like the goddess of death here. She's the the extreme negative force of the universe, or one of them. So it is like meeting death. But don't you think that Cooper? Maybe it's a death wish. I mean, Mr. C, with Bob in him, that we know, especially in more detail from the final dossier, what he was doing in these past 25 years. He, you know, he was pretty much the head of this, you know, incredibly uh, organized uh, crime <laughs> Don't syndicate. Get me started on that. Dude. I, well, I know it's still kind of comical, <laughs> but that's what he was doing, and it, it seems like, you know, what he was after was like, you know, like even a greater power, you know, a power greater Immortality, than mortality, Tom. Well, no, no, I don't know, but Bob, but <laughs> I don't know about that. But the whole he's, thing. You know, one thing. Think of it this way: he doesn't seem very interested in earthly pleasures. If he's amassed this billionaire syndicate, he's just kind of driving around in like regular cars, staying at motels. He's not, you know, enjoying it. Right. He's like the Ted Turner of like doppelganger. He should be like, you know, living it up. I think the reason why is because it's not just like Bob and Leland, where Leland was supposedly a very weak vessel and uh, didn't really have a lot of strength to combat Bob, but Cooper is a very strong uh, individual, uh, strong mental fortitude, very spiritual, and very intelligent. And having this evil entity, Bob, within him, coupled with everything we know about Cooper, I think there was probably a power struggle within Mr. C for all of these years. And I think we got really the one great scene in, in part seven, which really kind of, for me, delineated that was, you're still with me. That's good. And maybe Bob was like somewhat trapped in Cooper or a little frustrated within Cooper. Maybe what Bob was doing was driving the whole Judy Jowde plot angle. Whereas I think Mr. C or, you know, the Cooper side of, of Mr. C wanted more of the earthly pleasures, the, the power, everything like that. So it was, is this kind of the schizophrenia within this, uh, this character that we all know and love? which was fascinating, but we didn't really get to explore a lot of that in, in the series. I wish we had, and I wish that Frost would have gone into even greater detail in the book. I would rather have had more detail on that than kind of going into more of the season three, like Sarah as, as, uh, as the host of that bug and uh, some of the events related to Jeffries and uh, the time travel angle. So maybe he was frustrated. He was obviously frustrated, like, you know, Cooper wasn't going out and raping and pillaging like Bob would. So he had him contained and he was like, you know, amassing his fortune and doing it methodically. He had like a 401k plan for the Black Lodge. He had everything like, uh, you know, methodically planned. He was like spending all of his time in the, the box trying to capture mama, trying to capture death. That's what he was doing. He was like a, he was like a professor. Yeah, but do you think that if that was the intention to capture Jowde in that glass box, that it was its ultimate or his ultimate purpose was to send Jowde on the same path that Cooper took into the Purple Room? Mm, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea what he wanted to do with that thing. No clue. But you're right. It connects, or it connected, right? That's so what I'm saying, that is that if that was yeah. the case, if that... That could be the Grand Central Station. Well, that's it. If that's, It's obviously very similar to the fireman's domain. I mean, it's in color as opposed to black and white, but it seems to be in a fraternal world. 
if the idea is to somehow um, infiltrate the fireman's you know, domain, or you know, maybe he has you know many domains, and one of the ways to do it is by sending the experiment into it, that ultimately to to overwhelm, overtake the fireman and, and the good that um, these places you know inhabit, then that could very well have been part of Mr. C's plan. But you would think that if Zhao Day is you know this really the you know the ultimate evil, wouldn't need to go on this glass box journey to get there from like Mr. C's like point of view, like that he constructed all of this just to send Judy, summon Judy from where. And Judy was pissed. I mean, she was angry. I mean, you would think that she would want to go on that journey if that was the case, if they were working hand in hand. But no, she just came out of the you know the glass box and, and ate you know Sam and Tracy their heads. Well, I mean, well, she came out at the wrong time. He wasn't around to see it. You know, he wasn't around to monitor it. His little like a henchman guy with the glasses wasn't there either. So it just it, he he had an idea. I was thinking like. Do you think like maybe that like part three, the Nido place is actually like a good white lodge like Grand Central Station because it's near him. You know what I mean? And that like the door, the knocking, that evil knocking on the door and which freaked out Nido and Cooper in three that would sound like your mother's here was knocking like multiple times. That that was Judy trying to like permeate like a, a white lodge subway station, a portal like it was it was trying to go because it wasn't her domain. She was trying to get in there. Yeah. For what I thought about is that for me, there was this plan in place starting with like probably the firemen but cascading down to like major briggs and to jeffries and, and to some extent uh the one our man and, and some of our players in the black lodge to combat this evil to combat bob n- namely but also jowde which was really pretty much introduced just in the final episodes of, of this last season but what i took is from part three was that maybe with events that we, we didn't see in the narrative that this was going on somehow in you know the past 25 years and that some of this evil had somehow already infilf- uh, infiltrated um, these these places of good you know these houses of the of the firemen and that's what the firemen said it is in our house now means and and cooper is just one of his agents of good like freddy and and andy to some extent and and uh, probably some other people we don't know. Maybe the fire. Maybe a Jeffries visited the fireman at some point. Obviously, Briggs did, but maybe that's the whole case. It's this. It's this battle. Is that what Mister C and Zhao Day? What they're trying to do, obviously, is is with evil intent, but to you know completely overwhelm all good. And for me, the big tell was the zone. When Cole went into the zone briefly, what he saw basically was a convenience store. And that's where Briggs was hiding out. That's where he was hibernating. And I do not believe that he was hibernating in that location. I think that since the, the, the convenience store itself seems to be able to you know, move from place to place or appear pretty much anywhere, seemingly, possibly, that when it was infiltrated by Mr. C and the woodsmen, when Ruth was killed and Briggs was killed as well, that that portal was like ultimately cancerous now. And it was, it was then that's why it looked like the you know, uh, uh, looked like the convenience store, and that was part of their plan. Like whatever, all these portals crossing over, like Coop and Diane did in Part 18, maybe that's what the chessboard looks like. And it's Jowde and the fireman playing, and then what Jowde is doing is that she's winning. You know, some of these portals are being compromised, and firemen's got to come up with some quick plans to combat it. And what we're seeing is just all the pawns on the chessboard, all the pieces in our real world playing out all of these different roles, you know, under the guise of both, you know, the evil and the good. 
Yeah, it's interesting. What if like the more of the bug people, the Judy children, and the world goes sour and evil, like the more portals start appearing and popping up to where if the, if the whole world goes evil, then the portals will start forming like a Swiss cheese type situation to where we eventually just become a part of their world and they've absorbed us, the evil. Yeah, it's very well could be. And that ties into, I think, Laura Palmer. And that's the big thing that we want to talk about tonight is like her role um, in the Black Lodge and what it means overall. And we speculated on this um, in a couple, I mean, a couple of podcasts ago, but we really didn't go into too much detail. But I really got to thinking about Laura's role in the Black Lodge, especially in part two, like telling Cooper that he could go out now. And the, the one-armed man not appearing in that scene, like you know, Laura never appeared with anyone else other than uh, Cooper. And uh, we saw the one-armed man with Cooper and the evolution of the arm. But Laura seemed to like you know, occupy her own space and time within the lodge. We saw what was behind her face, which was light. Uh, and then you know she told Cooper some enigmatic things and ultimately kissed him and whispered in, in his ear and got pulled out of the lodge. Now... My thinking is it's possible, since we know where Laura came from in Part 8, from the firemen, uh, we don't know exactly why he did that other than somehow to combat Bob because of what he saw from 1945, the Bob bubble. Like he immediately froze that screen and created Laura and sent her on a journey to Earth. So my thinking is it's possible is that what her role is to play this kind of Christ-like figure, uh, this uh, this martyr. And her role was, initially in the original series, is to combat Bob and to not let Bob possess her. And it makes sense why Bob would want to possess her if she is a part of the firemen. And then she was killed, she was sacrificed, or she martyred herself, or was a martyr. And her ultimate role was to go into the White Lodge, or the Black Lodge, because of the ring. Because we know the significance of the ring. When you put it on and when you die, you go to the Black Lodge. So maybe her role was to go to the Black Lodge and over time become this influence within this this house of evil, so to speak, to somehow influence it over time to make it less evil, to maybe like we were talking about with these other portals being overtaken by the woodsmen and what have you, uh, compromised, becoming cancers. Well, maybe this what we're seeing with Laura is one of the firemen's like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, checkmate here, buddy. You know, you'll, I've got this Laura paw, and she's going to go in the black lodge, and she's going to actually turn this black lodge from evil to good. But what happened was, is that it's like a chessboard. He's moving it. The 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 firemen's moving the Laura queen to try to take like uh, the Judy queen from the black lodge. It's like a big, a big, big power move. On the yeah, exactly. So, and I think that very well could be the case because Laura seems to be destined to live this kind of cycle of like misery and abuse like over and over again and it it, kind of makes sense especially what we saw in part 18 when she you know when she remembers kind of who she you know who she was all of a sudden and she lets out that scream you know but probably 30 40 years of of repressed memories of all this like you know abuse or whatever and maybe also her role in the supernatural aspects of the story and what it means and maybe she's going back again to the Black Lodge or maybe she has to be killed again because one of the things I posited was that maybe since that if she was actually pulled out of the Black Lodge unwillingly or by Jowde or you know I, I can't imagine who else but and put into you know Odessa that what the fireman is telling Cooper in part one is related to part 18 and finding Laura and bringing her back home 
to be killed because that is her destiny to go back to the lodge, which is really kind of, you know, I would say sick, but, you know, the firemen doing this to poor Laura, but, it you know, it's just one, it's just part of the game, the grand scheme of things. And I'm not saying that's true, but it is interesting. And I think that her role is far greater uh, than just being a victim uh, in this story. So do you think she would have like a choice over this, like some agency over this decision? Like she's like some sort of like a white lodge suicide bomber going on a kamikaze mission <laughs> and she's, you know, willing to do it. And she, you know, she's a brave soldier. Or is this like she's a pawn in the fireman's game? No, I mean, that's I, a very important distinction to make. I think you bring up a great point. And I, I would think like, no, I think that, you know, she she is like a victim. But here's the thing. We know that Lynch, especially, well, maybe Frost, too. But I think really Lynch really like loves the character of Laura Palmer. I mean, he created Firewalk with me specifically to see her walk and talk again. So I would think that in a in a presumptive season four, that maybe what we would get with Laura is becoming like empowered to maybe kind of deal with these you know these issues that that you bring up and not just be like this victim again like maybe like you know below the surface that she knows that's the case and and we know that but to show a narrative arc with her somehow becoming empowered defeating like evil uh, as opposed to being like martyred would be very fascinating especially in lynch's hands she could be like a joan of arc be like a martyr and a hero like you know go down fighting yeah so it's really, yeah, I, I, I really believe that. I like that idea much better than her being just a pawn and having to go and being some eternal recurrence type of deal where she's being murdered horrifically again and again. Or that's like, you know, and also in that theory, the fireman sent her down in the orb back to Earth, right? Like, why didn't he just go send her at the, the NATO train station that goes straight into the lodge? Why do you have to go to Earth to get to the lodge? Like, is that the only way? You can, only, can you only get to the Black Lodge? Is it like connected to Earth only? I don't know, yeah, but I, we saw like Mister, we saw Coop go through the portal, you know, fall through non-existence and end up in Nido. So that was a. And then he ended up in the white lot, you know. So it's almost like I think like you could have gone the back route; it would have been much easier. It could be that he could foresee, like Briggs, that her parents would be Sarah Palmer and Leland Palmer, and that Leland would have Bob in him, and at some point Sarah would have this oh, yeah, that's right. evil entity, and to somehow combat the supposed end of the world as far as Frost posits in his book, if Judy and Bob ever unite on Earth, that the one thing to prevent it would be the Laura Orb and her presence. So maybe that that could well, be she my, is the product of it. I guess she just inhabits the the, the body, the, the little baby, like she is the soul, you know, they put it. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Because we think that that whole scene maybe in She still has a little eight, bit of the devil soul in her though, a little bit of the moon child because she does bad things. Well, yeah, no, I, I was, I, I really, there's I mean, a They're part fighting of me. within her, the duality within her, you know what I'm saying? If she's supposed to be the, the moon child, Bob and Judy finally had a baby, supposed to bring about the end of the world. You throw that potent combination, mix it with the lore orb from the fireman, it's like ultimate duality, ultimate like personality shifts. Do you know who I am? You know? That's a really, that's really another great point. But the influence of Sarah and Leland, more so Leland in the events of the original series and Fire Walk With Me, could have been wholly responsible. And I think so, that, that the abuse that she suffered really kind of dented that, uh, that orb over time and gave her you know, that dual nature. And I think maybe the fireman could, could foresee that, but ultimately she made the ultimate sacrifice in allowing herself to be killed. But I think that's a direct result of, of who her parents you know, are. And I think the firemen knew that. And Laura is 
strong. She's always going to have that essence of the fireman within her, but she's always she's going to also uh, uh, be influenced by the events around her because she is immortal. She isn't immortal. She's not a god like the fireman or Jaude. Um, it just makes her character more interesting when you think about it. And um, you know, when I was watching the credits as well, I mean, it, it, you know, we see it. We saw it 18 times or 17 times. The same opening credit sequence. I mean, we have this overview of Twin Peaks like we we're looking down from above like from a, from God's eye so to speak or maybe Jaude's eye and the first thing we see is is Laura we see the homecoming picture which was the same picture we saw out of the firemen and then we see all the you know the the the, the setting of Twin Peaks the familiar uh, waterfall and then it dissolves into the Black Lodge so I think what Lynch was doing there not only you know creating a very interesting opening title sequence but he's setting us up um, for like a, the narrative, especially what we've been talking about with the unified lodge theory, is that what we see in the opening credit sequence is Twin Peaks turning into the Black Lodge, basically, and that's I think what we're kind of going with. Not that Twin Peaks is the Black Lodge, but the influence of the Black Lodge is growing, and with Laura no longer in it, maybe that evil. Is, is, is coming to light because if you remember in part two, right after she got sucked out, you know, Cooper goes to see the evolution of the arm. That's when the shit goes down. The doppelganger of the evolution of the arm appears and Cooper's journey gets fucked and he has to go through, you know, you know the floor and winds up in the purple room and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think maybe if Laura was still there, that maybe that wouldn't have happened with what we're talking about with her being a positive influence within the lodge. Who sucked her out in episode two and episode seventeen? Now I don't know. I've been now that, we've seen that was my big homework assignment <laughs> with this week. Was like, okay, Tom, give me some definitive answers on who sucked her well, out in part two, who sucked her out in part seventeen, who was it, and where the hell did she go? Yeah, well, think of it. Okay, there's like two main suspects: it's either the fireman or it's got to be Judy, right? It's right. Two, right? Right. Right. So, you know, Judy is the bleak, uh, the bleak answer, and the fireman is the answer we're talking about here. Like, it's she's like some sort of maybe Joan of Arc type crusader. I like that idea much, much better. I'm going to go with that. If we're going to go with this Laura angle, I would want to give her some agency and power over her, uh, you know, her mission, and that she's going into this uh, willingly, and she's going basically into the eye of the hurricane, like to take over the right in the middle of Judy and Bob's uh, first uh, moonchild attempt. There's going to be problems. Well, one thing to counter that is a possibility and um when she talks to when she whispers to cooper we don't know what she says we know that obviously it causes him to have this startled resp- uh, expression he goes huh and uh but, do that he goes like oh okay huh. <laughs> right you're all you were always the better actor than me murph so um well it's just it wasn't like huh it was like oh shit like it was not good whatever it was right but whatever she told him what if that le- that was the colonel of him ultimately finding her, which which meant saving her, which meant her not dying. So even though it didn't happen at that particular point, I think we're dealing with, I think we're dealing with like different timelines here because there is one real timeline with Cooper in the lodge when he has his kind of mission, his narrative mission, the first go around is, do you remember your doppelganger? And then the second time around, it's is it the little is it the story of the little girl who lived down the lane? And I think they're kind of concurrent. I think time is nebulous within the lodge. So what if Laura, when she whispered in his ear, 
that set off a series of, uh, of events, even though it didn't happen at that particular moment, with Cooper saving her, meaning that she didn't die, which meant that her presence in the lodge could no longer be. And it wasn't Jaude or the firemen sucking her out. It was Cooper's like time traveling, intervening, changing history, which did it. And that would also tie into the firemen speaking to Cooper in part one with a very stern face and gave him those clues which led to Carrie Page, Laura Palmer. So maybe that's what that was. If Kim like saying, hey, buddy, you fucked up. You need to go find Laura. And she that's why she her, her role or her destiny is to be back in the Black Lodge. So maybe that's yeah, maybe, what it was. Maybe- yeah, maybe they were planning like the heist, like the whispers, like, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet in Odessa. You're going to take me back. I'm going to go to Judy's. We're going to blow this whole fire train. You know, it's like that could be it. And that, let's say they like uh, attempted it and failed or whatever. Like it seems that it does seem natural that you would go back to the uh, inception point of that heist and that that was it. Like, so they had to erase it. So whoever it didn't work. So I thought you were going to go with a whole like. Uh, SCTV <laughs> Maudlin's 11 bit. You're going to give me some uh, Sammy Maudlin. Yo, 11. It's Maudlin's 11. Yeah, Maudlin's 11. Yeah, I thought of that. So, yeah, maybe they are planning a heist and that's what they're doing. Then it's like, see you in, come see me in Odessa. Am I 11? So. Okay, if we answer that question, well, not answer it, but we're just... Well, don't you think for a second, okay, we're doing like a 180 from our Unified Lodge theory. So do you think maybe that like we're getting a little influence of Frost here? We're going into the Frost realm now. This is the Frost translation or the Frost, uh, you know, theories, you know, as opposed to like the Lynchian theories that are a little more bleak. Because this is giving like Cooper and Laura way more say in what they're doing. Like they're actually like, they're like wacky time traveling duo. We're going to save the day as opposed to the, we're just trapped in Judy's world. And, and Cooper is in some dream, and Laura's not even there. Maybe I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think I don't think like we're all trapped in in Judy's world is something that I got from watching. Well, you don't believe you're trapped in the Unified Lodge. You don't believe Judy is the Queen of the Black Lodge, but trapped in like a Lodge type of like uh, eternal recurrence dream, as opposed to this new Laura theory. But that's a different that's a different track altogether. What we talk about with Cooper with their Unified Lodge theory, I don't think it was a 180. I still think it is completely, well, I would say true, but I still believe in, in, in that theory that we discussed that he never really left that lodge, even though it didn't appear as the lodge. The events that we saw with Cooper throughout the series, I mean, Laura's not a part of that, really. What we're seeing from Cooper is the extension of, of, of like the Black Lodge and that he never really left. And then when he com- completed his mission, which was basically going back in time and saving Laura. And he looked down and a little light appeared on his face. He was right back in the lodge. He wasn't sucked back up. I think it was because he never... Well, but dude, the whole Mark Frost thing, sorry to interrupt you, but like the whole retcon deal, then obviously he got out of the lodge at some point because he went back and saved Laura's ass from real life. So it wasn't all a lodge, you know, construct. No, you're right about that. It's a part of it. Yeah, to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know now. I think it's kind of punched the holes. It's made me think about it. I'm like, maybe it's just the frost influence. I got my frost side of my brain working right now. And I do like the idea, but like definitely to have them, you know, plotting this thing and they're they're actively, you know, trying to, to, to foil Judy and Laura's in on it and Cooper's in on it. And it's like a time travel, which Mark Frost said, basically said was what is kind of happening, you know. Um, so that, that's completely different from like this being a hopeless type of deal where maybe he's gone through this multiple times, you know, he's stuck, he's trapped, which is actually how I felt, you know, at the end, I felt, ugh, 
He's trapped watching it. So now I'm confused. I don't know what to think. What year is this? Part 18. When Cooper exits the lodge. When Laura told him in part two, you can go out now. If that would have happened, I think he would have come out of the lodge at that particular point. And I think that ties into the other scene in part two where Hawk was in the woods going to Glastonbury Grove because something was going to happen here that night. And I think it was Cooper supposedly going to come out of the lodge. Well, that didn't happen. And I think it didn't happen because Laura was pulled out of the lodge and it started the chain of events which led Cooper on his journey. But um, you brought up an interesting point I have to think about is that him actually going back in time, if he was actually still in the lodge, that really wouldn't make sense because he went back in time to 1989. Um, maybe there's a point in his cycle there where um, the unified lodge theory that we discuss, like when he said we live inside of a dream and he wound up in the furnace room, maybe that's when that ended. And what we were seeing there, oh, you know what? Okay, I got something for you here. What we were seeing in part 17, up into the point where the lights dimmed, it was Cooper, an extension of Cooper in Dougie Land, that whole narrative. And then when he, when he and Cole and Diane, you're going to laugh at this, by the way, when they showed up in the furnace room, he showed up with his pin. His pin was on him. His pin wasn't <laughs> on him beforehand. Yeah. So yeah. I think that there's a difference there. There's a difference with the pin and, and no pin because in part two, pin. And when he goes on his journey, uh, pin. But when he leaves the portal number three, no pin. And it only reappears in the furnace room at the end of part 17. Yeah, you've been following the pin like from the very beginning. So I don't. Yeah, I don't and really Frost know. said. Yeah, Fro I'm I sorry. I don't want to test the pin theory, but I, I think it's very interesting. But doesn't it seem like that the, the whole. Maybe the pin appeared because the Las Vegas dream world is, is finally meshing with the real Twin Peaks world here in this room. And everything was like starting to fall apart. Frost had an interesting quote about the pin because I think. It might have been that same article. No, I think it was on the Reddit forum. He did a, a Q&A on, on Reddit this week, and there was some interesting stuff um, that he said. But someone mentioned the pin, and he basically said that he, I think he heard about that, but he really couldn't really go into it because I, from what I got was, I can't, I don't remember the exact quote, but what I inferred was that it really didn't mean anything to him. But I think he <laughs> said that you're going to have to ask you know, David about that. David, yeah, and doing it. I think that that... Put it on! Take it off! <laughs> Why? You'll figure it out! <laughs> I think that... I don't think... This is a guy, David Lynch, that is very specific about, like, you know, shoes and lipstick and the tiniest details. So I am a strong believer that if Cooper is wearing a pin, it's for a reason, and not wearing a pin, it's for a reason, and it's not some continuity issue. So I, I really believe that it's a small tell of what we're seeing, but as to what we're seeing or maybe when we're seeing it is, is still very mysterious. But I'm holding on to this like pin theory that it is very specific to Cooper's plight or his plights. I've got a question for you. Like, What does see, see with the curtain call mean? Well, you know, I, at first I thought it was going to be like, you know, so we were going to get something in part 18, that they were all going to come together somehow. Cole was going to be reunited, uh, maybe with Diane. And uh, whatever the mission was in part 18, yeah. it was going to be yeah. like some, okay, so you have the curtain call. But now, 
That was maybe he was thinking like, okay, I'm gonna have a successful mission here. I'll see you guys when I come back for the after party because I'm about to fucking bring her back to let's get it. It's gonna work. He's thinking optimistically. Right, but it could also mean to Diane specifically, see you at the curtain call. If he somehow knew events that were going to happen when he came out of the lodge in part 18, see you at the curtain call. There was Diane. Could be a reference to that. The black yeah, some lodge. Some people curtains. actually think. Some people think that the show, like at the very end of the show, is like the Diane episode 17 when she reveals herself to Coop. That that's somehow the end of the show. Well, I th- see. I think that was the end of our unified lodge theory. I think that that's when the whole Cooper narrative from three to that point yeah, like ended itself. that storyline because Mr. C was defeated. The whole thing that Mr. C and Cooper, those two storylines, one could not go out without the other one returning. I think that that was you know said for a specific reason. That's why I think that Cooper never really technically left the lodge, so to speak, even though we saw all these events happen. And it's very curious that Frost didn't mention any of Cooper's journey from part three uh, to 16 in his book. He only mentioned Cooper showing up at the sheriff's station. So I think that there's some meat on the bone there with that. But um, oh, one thing I wanted to say too was that one of the the things that we were talking about with that unified lodge theory was that the other uh, plots, whether the Blue Rose, you know, Mr. C storyline, and the people in Twin Peaks, and one of the things that I thought about perhaps with the events in Twin Peaks was that it, it possible, not to say that the whole thing was like a dream, but it's possible perhaps that maybe that what Cooper was seeing with some of the aspects in Twin Peaks was part of his like manifestation within his head and dealing with all of these scenes and these characters or whatever while he was in like Dougie land in like a stupor. One of the reasons why that maybe he was in an extended stupor was not because he was still zapped from his journey was because he has all this shit going on in his head, all these characters and all these scenes. And he can only really uh, react to certain rudimentary, rudimentary things. We- so it's like a beautiful mind, like uh, that movie, Russell Crowe, the beautiful mind has <laughs> just got all kinds of theorems and things going around. I was trying to process. I didn't see that movie, so I can't really comment on it. But, uh, <laughs> but because um, I want to, I want to really kind of believe that um, that what we saw with Cooper um, was an extension of the Black Lodge. For me, it's more interesting. Um, the whole idea, like his whole journey, it, it works on so many different levels, whether symbolic, metaphysical, all these different levels. And I think it's really up Lynch's wheelhouse, as opposed to really being some kind of reality. Oh, one other thing with that. Remember the 119 drug-addled mother? Yes. Lynch or Frost had a quote that he basically wouldn't go into too much detail other than that character. When, when a specific character has like one foot in the other world, they tend to speak backwards. So he's basically saying that that woman had one foot in another world. And if we're thinking that this is really all an extension of the Black Lodge, here's another reminder you know, we had the one-armed man, we had the evolution of the arm, we had all these other instances. Here's another character speaking backwards, giving us another She's clue another that- mother, you know what I'm saying? Like the mother, Sarah, her, Mrs. Tremont maybe has some kids. Maybe the, the Sarah bugs only affect uh, mothers because she yeah, has she, she could ha- she could have a bug she in her. Did. There's also something very curious as Mama well. Judy is that has other mamas. We know that Cooper was in Vegas with his, because uh, Tammy even says so, he was in all these different places. Well, Vegas is one of them. We know because of Duncan Todd, et cetera, et cetera. But what if he somehow was associated with the 119 woman? And what we, the clues that Lynch is giving us 
is her little table. On her table is a deck of cards and a safety pin. And we know from his Ace of Spades, it's from a deck of cards, and if you noticed above the symbol and below the symbol, it looks like there were some scratches some made. safety pins or scratches. Yeah, there's something going on there. Maybe yeah. that was kind of a clue that he was with that particular person, perhaps. Yeah, do you think there was a scene cut out where they actually met? He came over there and, like, where's Dougie? No, maybe she spoke normally until she actually uh, was intimate with Mr. C and his, you know, Bob seed (laughs) caused her to start speaking backwards. Yeah, she could be like a season four Mrs. Tremont, the next Tremont, like a modern, young, millennial, hip, drugged out Tremont. I'd be into it. Well, someone actually mentioned that they think that there might be a connection between her and her boy and Mrs. Tremont and her grandson. Yeah, that's what I think. I think so, too. I definitely have got more questions about uh, our Unified Lodge theory, and I like your Laura Joan of Arc theory as well. Um, and the time, Whether it's a time travel or it's a time fuck from the, white, the, the Black Lodge, I'm not sure anymore. I think that uh, what I was wanting to do this week on my homework assignment, which I failed miserably because I just kept getting overwhelmed. I had a few things that I really wanted to kind of delve into, and I did, but I would just start thinking about other things, and it really is the world of Twin Peaks this season especially is very overwhelming but trying to tie it into Firewalk with me and the original two series especially when the original series aired 25 years ago and I want to I know that you know not everything was planned things have been retconned and things have changed etc cetera, etc cetera, but I really like to think of like everything is canon and really trying to tie things together I just was my, my mind was just swimming with all these things here but the things that we talked about tonight I think we're going to really kind of explore in future podcasts um, whether it's our unified lodge theory or more with this Laura notion we live inside a dream who sucked her out in part two and part 17 and where did she go because for me the big question related to Laura is and this is my final question to you is when she wound up in Odessa because we know that she did when, when do you think that was? Do you think that was in part two? Do you think that was in part 17? Or do you think that might be something completely different or maybe like a Tulpa Laura? I think it was 17. I just have a feeling it was 17 for some reason. I don't know why. Well, okay. Still. So if it was 17, then why would she uh, have Laura, no like memory the of Laura Palmer? Uh, well, because it, the, you get wiped, dude. Just like Dougie, you forget everything. You get wiped. She got wiped, and maybe well, she, it was all you know. It was just a layered on. It was like she you know, she doesn't remember that shit anyway. It's not pleasant, so <laughs> she just blocked it out. I think it's a part of the the that was the purpose was her. She it's not you don't want her to remember that stuff. Well, like, that's why I like thought Judy or you're the fireman putting her there. Well, that's why I thought that she got pulled out in part two because if it was a similar journey that Cooper went on, then it would make sense that she got wiped. But if she got pulled out in part 17, I don't think that there was, you know, a portal that she went through. And I think that she would remember being Laura Palmer. So I think that for her to have no memory of the identity of Laura Palmer means that she would have had to gone on a similar journey as Cooper. So that makes me think that it was like part two, perhaps. But, but I also think it could be, there are some people that speculate, they're convinced that what we saw in part eight with the Laura Orb floating over the continental United States, that it is heading straight for Odessa. And that's where she went. 
I don't really That's believe that, but it is interesting. Yeah, it's possible. That is interesting. Well, it's interesting to think about also, like if the, with this whole Joan of Arc lore theory, where she's like a warrior soldier going to like take down the Black Lodge, uh, you know, ordained by the the god Fireman. Then doesn't it make like Cooper's like silly journey like even more ridiculous? <laughs> he's still he's still just like you know what I'm saying he's like a sidekick. He doesn't like maybe Laura doesn't even need him. Why does Laura need him? Like I think like uh you know maybe in some of these if she keeps doing this over and over maybe she's uh, got other people to help her get to Judy. But I still feel like that Cooper's uh, journey is just even more irrelevant and more absurd and more tragic and more doomed, you know, and, you know, to the main overall story, you know, like Freddie and Laura and all these people are doing way more things than he is in this. He's just kind of a bystander bumbling around like Chauncey the Gardener. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I want to explore as well as Cooper, uh, his character, because everything you say is very valid. But I think that there's even more that we can discuss with that. And watching part 18 again, which is kind of a ritual for me every week before we do a podcast is watching part 18. It's just even his character is even more dynamic because we almost see like, well, technically, I think we see we, we could conceivably see like maybe five or six Coopers in part 18. We see Mr. C, the very first image of part 18. We see Cooper in the lodge kind of going over the same events that we saw in part two, but albeit differently. And then we see Cooper exit the Black Lodge in uh, uh, just moments later. He seems even he seems different at that point. And then when we, he's driving with Diane, he seems different. And then when he crosses over, he seems different. And then when he's even, and he's in the diner with uh, with the waitress, seems different. He seems different. He's with Lori, seems different. Yeah. So there's he's like, in the car, he seems different. Then, he's at, then he, you would think after all that Judy action at Judy's diner, going crazy, that he would like have forced his way into that house, Mrs. Tremont's. But he didn't. He changed again. It was different again. Yeah. That, so that's what I, I think. That's a very good point you bring up. I would love to, and maybe we'll do it next week. Why don't we devote? just an entire podcast on Cooper. I mean, we just we just threw like seven or eight Coopers out there in part 18. We'll go in and... and this is all about Cooper. Yeah. Just, dude, think of this too. If he's time jumping around, like think maybe he like keeps a little bit of essence of all the different incarnations of Cooper so that the, he does have layered personalities now. He's got multiple ones inside of him instead of just Dale. He's got Dale and Mr. C and Dougie and, uh, you know, Richard and God knows how many others. It's a good point. It's a very good point. Oh, one, one, one. Final, final question. How do you think he knew in part 17 about Freddy? Oh, that's a good fucking question, dude. That's a good... That's what I'm saying. That goes back to the Unified Lodge theory that it was all a dream. Right. That this is all some sort of construct in his brain stuck in there. That's what that would mean to me. Now, if he's a time traveler, then he had to have gotten it somehow from the one-armed man or Philip Jeffries or, off, or, the, or the fireman off camera that we didn't get. That's a good point. Yeah, I, that's something that's, yeah, I think you're right. I uh, Let's speculate on that as well in a future podcast because I have no, 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 no. idea. We're going to keep doing this forever. We're trapped in the lodge as well until season four happens. <laughs> <laughs> we're reviewing this. <laughs> Got a little room. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Yeah, uh, we'll keep doing this next week, but uh, yeah, until next time. Somebody see